Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thank you. So for those of you who are not part of the um, church, we've been going through the book of James, and today we're up to James chapter 5. Almost 20 years ago, I moved to a place called Kyrgyzstan, Central Asia, a very beautiful country, but a very impoverished country. Um, And as I went, I I was working in a a, a big company and uh, people were very interested in what I was doing. Um, And I sent a letter out about what I was doing and I illustrated it with some pictures. And I had an American uh, colleague and he showed this, this letter to his son. And his son looked at the pictures and he was like, oh my goodness, these people need stuff. And, and we should send them stuff. Because as far as he was concerned, stuff was, was the answer. If you didn't have stuff, how could you live a happy life? And you can't really blame him for thinking that. Do you know that globally, um, around 540 billion pounds is spent a year on advertising. Much of it designed to persuade us that we need more stuff. Well, today's passage in James takes a very different view. It's written to people whose problem is not a lack of stuff. They actually have too much stuff. And James does not pull any punches. In fact, it's one of the harshest bits of the New Testament. And so you imagine my joy when I saw that I was chosen to preach it. It's more like some of the fire and brimstone passages that you find in some of the Old Testament prophets. But it's in the Bible and it's important for us to understand what God is saying to us through it. So let's read what James has to say and try and understand why he's so passionate about this. So this is from the New Living Translation, James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. 
Wow, I told you he didn't pull any punches. So what's going on here? Well, first, a bit of background. Who are these people that James is addressing? Are they people who are sitting in the church? Well, probably not for the most part, because many of the early Christians um, would have not had much money. They would have been amongst the poor. And actually, as we look around the world today, the majority of Christians today would still be amongst the poor. And also when James is addressing Christians, he usually says brothers and sisters, and then he encourages them that a better way is possible. But this passage just seems to be pure condemnation. So James is not primarily talking to people in the church. And in fact, many of them would have probably identified themselves with those workers who are being exploited um, by the rich. But nevertheless, James knows that even if we are not rich, there is a danger that we envy rich people. That deep down, we actually aspire to be like them. If you think of the popularity of series like Keeping Up the Kardashians, went for 20 seasons, or who's been fascinated by the portrayal of power and prestige in the Netflix serial The Crown, or perhaps Downton Abbey is more of your thing, although if it is, you probably more identify or think about the characters upstairs than those who are downstairs. Well, James bursts this bubble of aspiration with these needle-sharp words. Don't aspire to be like the rich, or as today's talk is titled, don't be greedy. The rich might live in luxury, but James looks at what will be their end. The message version of the Bible translates verse 5, you've looted the earth and lived it up, but all you'll have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. So let's unpack this a bit. What is the problem with wealth and why does James seem to be so against having too much of it? So we're going to look at two points. One, wealth is a poor thing to base our lives on. And two, God cares passionately about injustice. So in verses two and three, James says to the rich, your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. Actually, Jesus said something quite similar and we looked at it a few months ago. Although I wouldn't imagine you might remember that. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Wealth is unreliable. We might have the good fortune to be able to have investments, but a lot of their value can be wiped out in a day during a stock market downturn. We might have many possessions 
but somebody might come and steal them or they might get burnt up. Even designer clothes go out of fashion. Not that that's really been a concern of mine. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to enjoy nice things if we have the opportunity to save for retirement if we are fortunate enough to be able to do that. But if those things become the way in which we define ourselves, if they are what we're aspiring to, then we're actually building our lives on shaky ground. And that 540 billion pounds of advertising is exactly encouraging us to do that. But there's perhaps even a bigger problem. There's a crucial question when we think about wealth. How much is enough? We, we looked at that in that first icebreaker question, didn't we? How much money do you need to be rich? How much is enough money? How much stuff is enough stuff? John Paul Getty was a very wealthy man and he was allegedly asked if it was true, this was quite a few years ago, that his estate was worth at the time a billion dollars. Well, apparently... Getty paused, and then he replied, I suppose so, but remember, a billion dollars doesn't go as far as it used to. If we look to wealth to satisfy us, to meet our deepest needs, it will actually become our master. We'll always crave more will never feel like we have enough. Left unchecked, actually that desire will start to destroy us. So the message translation of verse 3 actually says, your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. It's a very graphic picture, but greed can eat away at us like a cancer unchecked can destroy our body. So that, even if we had a billion dollars, we might decide that it's not enough. And so we start to amass more. We become hoarders of wealth. Did you know there's actually a condition called hoarding disorder? Um, my uncle um, had it. It's when somebody excessively collects things and they won't throw anything to the, away to the point where it actually stops them living their life uh, normally and my uncle got to the point where he wouldn't actually have anybody come into his house because he was so ashamed I mean he had stuff probably up to at least kind of knee height on every floor in every room in his house and actually um, one day he died and because he had become more and more isolated his body was not found for a number of days. It was really sad. It turned out he was quite wealthy. He actually had a second house that his sister, my mother, knew nothing about. We didn't even know how often he went there. But his stuff, his ex excessive hoarded stuff, did him no good. It led him to actually an isolated, lonely and tragic death. It was very harmful. 
and he left behind a huge mess that others had to go in and sort through and throw away because actually most of it was worthless. Well, we might not have such an extreme condition, I hope not. But it is easy for us to start to hoard things for ourselves. If we start to look to want to have things for the sake of having them, not because they're useful or necessary, then it's a sign that we're not controlling wealth, but it's controlling us. There was, in the Bible, the second king of Israel, Solomon, incredibly rich man. And he said in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. That was John Paul Getty's problem. A billion dollars doesn't go as far as it used to. He was worried by what he didn't have, even as he, did, even as he had a billion dollars. Now, we've got to be honest, greed is something which can easily affect us all, whether we think we have much, we feel we have much, or we feel we have little. And it can affect us in different ways. So we just take a, a couple of minutes and around your tables discuss what should we do if we find ourselves struggling with greed. Okay. Sorry to break into your conversations. That's something you want to talk about. Afterwards, um, then please do so. I think one of the best antidotes to, to greed is generosity. If we recognize that money is getting the better of us, um, if we have an impulse to buy more and more, whether we need it or not, give some money away. The more generous we are, the less we will be controlled by money. And that's actually one of the reasons why we encourage, if you're part of the church, is to be giving regularly. Um, as it's an important part of our discipleship because we understand that it helps us to keep money in the right place. And we need to recognize that we cannot rely on wealth. We can only rely on God. So Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's not that he's going to make you take a vow of poverty, necessarily. But... Um, giving away money helps us to make sure that money doesn't take God's place as top priority. So that's the first point. We need to be careful about wealth. It can, if we hoard it, it can destroy us. But just uh, briefly, it's not just uh, the impact it has on us. It also impacts others. And so James recognizes that the greed of the wealthy results in the oppression and injustice of the poor. And he's so condemning of the rich in this passage because God cares passionately about injustice. Part of the way that we see these rich people in James 5 getting rich is because they're not paying their workers fairly or they're holding their wages back. Well, these days, 
actually that many would say that's just good business practice. Um, actually, businesses will tend to, they'll pay their suppliers at the very last minute and hold on to the money as long as possible. Jobs get outsourced to countries where wages are cheaper. There's all kinds of ways in which the haves make sure that they have and they keep ahead of the have-nots. Well, you might think, well, that's all very well, Chris, but actually I'm not a successful business person. I don't have my first billion. Um, and so really, you know, I don't think that's got anything to do with me. Well, let's think of an example. Because the world is incredibly inter interconnected. And actually, choices that we make can have a very profound impact on people thousands of miles away. So we're going to take the example of a cup of coffee brought from a coffee shop. This was actually an analysis that was done in, uh, published in the Financial Times in 2019. Um, so let's say I buy a cup of coffee for £2.50. Okay? So I say 2019. Where do you think that £2.50 goes? Now, I actually need eight volunteers for this. Okay, so this is where we're going to get a little bit active. So I need a coffee grower. Coffee grower, come on. Come on. Thank you. Very good, Erica. So if you could just come over, just stand over there and hold up your picture. So Erica is our coffee grower. I need a coffee roaster and distributor. Okay, thank you, Rachel. Now, I need a, a landlord or somebody who owns the shop, the coffee shop. Oh. <laughs> Collins, the landlord. <laughs> he knows what's the lucrative bit. Now, I need, of course, a barrister, somebody who's going to make the coffee, all the staff. Barrister, okay, thank you. Oh, very good. You can stand over there if you like. You can. Oh, and I need a tax man. Who would be, who, okay, that was, <laughs> that was quick. Then I need a, a businesswoman who owns the business. Businesswoman, please. Businesswoman. Oh, thank you. Joe's going to come. You want to go and stand with Neil, keep him company, he's looking a bit lonely over there. Okay, I need um, somebody who, who supplies the cups and the stirrers and the napkins. Um, cup, stirrer, napkins. But thank you, Millie. I'm go stand over there. <laughs> and then last but not least, I need a cow. Somebody who, who produces the milk. Great. Thank you. Okay. Right, hold up your pictures. And now I need an economist or a budding uh, entrepreneur. I will have to pick somebody if nobody will stand up. Okay, Ian is going to be our chief economist today. <laughs> now, Ian, what I want you to do is, so we've got, we've got these uh, eight, I think, people here. or They represent different parts of the coffee supply chain. I would like you to arrange them now in order from who you think gets the most of the £2.50 to who gets the least. Much work up. Okay. Not, all right. Very good. Okay. So, let's see how much they all get. Okay. So, our cow, or actually everybody who represents the milk chain, 
gets 10 pence. Okay, there you are. You hold up your 10 pence. Okay, our cup supplier gets 18 pence. Okay, there you go. If you want to hold them underneath your picture. Now the, the business owner, the businesswoman, you get 25 pence. You know, which is not bad because you're not really doing anything, are you? <laughs> now the taxman. The taxman gets 38 pence. That was a pretty good deal. <clears throat> okay, the barrister and all the staff, they actually get 63 pence. So there you go, not bad, not bad. The landlord and everything associated with the premises gets 88 pence. <laughs> the roaster and the distributor gets eight pence. Which leaves the coffee grower. Do you know how much the coffee grower gets? One pence. So in your two pound fifty cup of coffee, the actual coffee before it gets processed is one pence of the total. And actually all of the coffee um, is nine pence. So, so it's, well, you've got to grow a lot of coffee. Okay, thank you, thank you all very much. So it turns out that actually, as we do something as simple as buying a cup of coffee, we have to ask ourselves, how much attention do we take as to how much the coffee grower is getting? Are they getting a fair share? Or who's growing the cotton for our t-shirts and what are their working conditions? Or what impact on the environment do our choices have and how is that affecting those who are vulnerable to the effects of climate change or environmental degradation? Now it can seem overwhelming trying to figure out all of those or even some of those impacts and I recognize that some of us struggle um, just to kind of to make ends meet and don't feel we have any margin to, uh, to, to, to think about those sorts of choices. But I think probably the key question here is do we even care? Because James is so outspoken against these rich oppressors because he sees that they don't care about those that they're oppressing. They don't care if they're being fair or just or what, what choices they're making. But, God, but James knows that God cares. That he hears the cry of the oppressed, it tells us. And he will act. Sometimes we see that action. But sometimes in God's wisdom, he doesn't seem to bring the oppressors to account. But the Bible is very clear. A day of judgment is coming when every wrong will have to be accounted for. That's what James is talking about when he talks about a day of judgment. Well, most of us don't like thinking about God's judgment, do we? And as Christians, we don't have to worry because Jesus has taken the penalty for our wrongdoing. 
through his death on the cross. But if we've been wronged by others, if we've been treated unfairly or we're upset when we see others treated badly and unjustly and we think, why doesn't God do something about it? The fact is that he will. That the Bible tells us that every tear will be wiped away, that every wrong will be put right. So that gives us comfort if we ourselves face injustice. Perhaps we've been passed up for promotion because of what we believe or how we live it out. Perhaps others have falsely accused us of wrongdoing. And if we don't feel that's been righted, we can trust that God sees and God will take account. And it also motivates us to care about those around us who are oppressed or face injustice because God hates injustice. If God cares about it, we should care about it. So schemes like fair trade or sustainable sourcing can help us make practical choices. Um, or you might decide to support and get informed through organisations like Christians Against Poverty that look into these issues. They're small steps, perhaps, but ways that God can use to soften our hearts and help us see better the needs of those who find themselves on the margins or treated badly. So as we finish, and I appreciate our, we've gone over a little bit, but let's just spend a few minutes just responding to this challenging passage from James. And I'd encourage, if you're able to stand, would you stand? And, and we'll just spend a few minutes listening to God um, and, then we'll, and then we'll close. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.